little bit because it was quiet a few days ago. Is this how you're supposed to be doing this? I don't know. Okay. So we get situated. Take a sippy sip my drink. Mm. Mm. ASMR. ASMR murder. That'd be super weird in ASMR, like, where you're, like, being murdered. <laughs> Does that make any sense? Like, an ASMR, but instead of it being, like, oh, you're at the nail salon, it's like you're being murdered. Wait a second, they actually have those. But it's, like, that weird ooh-ooh girl. You know what I mean? Who am I even talking to? Oh, my God. Okay. Hello. <laughs> hey, guys. What's up? It's me. It's your host, Gracie. How are you today? How's your day going? Today was my first day of school. Whoa! It was kind of like, it was okay. I only had two classes today. I'm recording this on a Wednesday. I only have two classes today and they were fine. They're school classes. It's not the best in the world. It's not the worst in the world. It just exists. Also, I'm having like a weird like breathing problem the past two days. Um, I don't know what it's from. But it's like this weird tightness in my chest. So if you hear me stopping and taking a lot of deep breaths, that's why. Um, I'm totally fine. I don't think it's anything like serious. I just think that, I don't know, my chest is just really tight right now. But I'm okay. And you're okay because you're having a good day, I hope. <laughs> but I hope you're having a good week. This is my first week of school. I don't know how many people out there are going back to school. If you're not going back to school... What are you up to? What are you doing? How's work? How's the fam bam? If you are going back to school, how's school? How's your, how's jumping into the new semester going for you? Because for me, it's going okay right now. Today, I only had um, political science, which is rough because I have a bad history of polit discussing political opinions. And I also had creative writing, which is really fun. I love writing. I'm really excited to kind of expand on my ability to, to do poetry because I don't like to talk about it that much because it's very personal but I really really love poetry I've been writing poetry for like oh how old am I 21 uh I'd say around 19 years not 19 years but I've been writing it since I was like a little a little child a little tot little baby if you will but yeah I'm excited for this semester my new house is coming together right now uh me and my roommates have been chilling and then my stuff got delivered so now I actually have a bed and not an air mattress like last week if you heard me uh, talking to Albus Albus is now in my room right behind me I have a bookshelf I have a mirror the only thing I'm missing right now is my dresser but that should be here the 26th so fingers crossed I'm currently having to collect my clothes from a big tub underneath my actually right now I'm using it as my makeshift podcast desk because it just it does not work I'm currently using it as my makeshift podcast desk because it does not work me going in my closet. And honestly, the walls here are pretty, like, I wouldn't say totally soundproof, but, like, mostly soundproof. Like, I like to watch YouTube to go to bed, like, really loudly, and my roommates don't hear me. And then I, my roommate that has the, like, the opposite door, and the roommate that has the opposite door, she watches TV and I never hear her. So it's like, hey. It works out, I'm sure. Whoever's home right now. Yeah. Okay. That's Winchester, if you hear any barking. That's Alex's dog, Winchester. Uh, he is very lovely. He is two years old and a little bit of a rapscallion. So that'll be fun to work around. 
Okay, bud. Hopefully that will stop soon. <laughs> um. Winchester, you're fine! <sighs> so, uh, three, ow. The little things I want to talk about before we get into the murderer. Because this week I'm doing, oh wow. Because this week I'm doing a murderer. Because last week I did a spooky story. So, you know, swipping them out. Swipping, swapping, you know? Because this is fun still. Oh man, my chest. Jesus. So, I was thinking about changing my upload schedule to being from noon on Thursday to being at noon on Friday. This podcast episode should come up on one of those days. Um, I'm going to try and get it out on Thursday, but hey, this semester is kind of busy for me, so it might be a little bit harder for me to do that, but I'm going to work on it. I'm going to put up a poll on Twitter because those always work out for me, but I do want to hear what y'all think. Do y'all think that this up now? Do y'all want me to keep this upload schedule? Should I move it to Friday? Because right now I'm kind of leaning to a Friday. Especially because I am trying to, like, you know, be more sociable this this semester and this year in general. So, you know, we plan on doing things and going out and having fun, getting uh, getting buck wild, as Taylor Knuth likes to say. Hold on, my, my headphone thing is... God, I love this microphone. It's super good. Like, listen to this. I don't think you can actually hear that, but I can. <laughs> okay, whatever. All right. <laughs> the trigger warnings. Oh my god, I have any mission who we're talking about. Uh, so today we're going to be talking about the Night Stalker, a.k.a. Richard Ramirez. But one thing that I thought was really funny while I was writing this out is he... So if you've ever seen Richard Ramirez, he's very, like, skeleton-y. And his last... And, like, he's called, like, the Stalker. So all I could think of was like a beanstalk. Like the entire time I was writing this, I don't know why. I'm glad my brain was like, ah, this is funny because it's a really, really fucked up story. But hey, here for it. So the trigger warnings for the beanstalker is murder, duh, sexual assault, sexual misconduct, shooting and gouging of eyes and torture. I did get a majority of this info from SerialKillerShop.com, which is a website I just found today and like... It's kind of sick as fuck, so... Am I been recording this entire time? Oh my god, that would have been so hilarious if I wasn't recording. Alright, let's jump right into it. Uh, I don't think... I'm pretty sure I'm covering most of his crimes, but I'm not covering... Because it's, it's like... This is a long-ass story. So, you know what? No time like the present. Let's just dive right in after I take a drink of my Diet Coke. Diet Coke. The best drink for the podcaster. Diet Coke doesn't sponsor me. I just really want them to. <laughs> I also am looking for... A, <clears throat> whoa. Also, I am looking for sponsors right now, so I'm going to try and set up that. So if I start doing ads randomly, don't worry about it. I'm just trying to get my coin. <laughs> I need money. But, okay. So, <clears throat> Richard Ramirez was born Ricardo Livia Montaz Ramirez. He was born on February 29th, 1960. Woohoo! Leap day. He was the youngest of five children. His father, a one-time Juarez police officer, worked as a laborer for the Santa Fe Railroad. Richard's father was reportedly an angry man who was prone to fits of rage and physical violence, which he often directed towards his family, um, his wife in particular. And so that was rough. Hard thing to grow up with. Doesn't turn you into a murderer. 
As a child, Ramirez suffered two major head injuries at the age... As a child, Ramirez suffered two major head injuries at the age of two. A dresser fell on his head, which resulted in more than 30 stitches. When he was six, he was knocked unconscious by a swing at a playground. This injury resulted in epileptic seizures that plagued him until he became a teenager, which is rough. I know epilepsy is like a big issue. One of my best friends growing up had it, and it's like, that's not fun. But you know what's also not fun? Murdering people. My, my best friend from high school isn't a murderer. I don't think so, at least. That'd be very awkward. By the time Ramirez was 12, he had begun spending a lot of time with his cousin, Miguel. Miguel was a violent Vietnam vet who enjoyed sharing stories of his gruesome exploits during the war with his young cousin. Miguel took sadistic pleasure in showing young, impressionable Ramirez how to kill with stealth and skill. He would also, like... This guy wasn't a nice man. Like, this this dude really should suck. He would show pictures of severed heads of the women that he sexually assaulted in Vietnam. Uh, he would tell the gruesome stories of those assaults. Like, he wasn't a good dude. He's not a dude that I would want my 10-year-old to hang out with. Ramirez became an avid pox smoker at the age of 10, and he also had the epileptic seizures, which, combined with his impressionable age made him to be susceptible to his cousin's influence. It was around this time Ramirez began sleeping in a local cemetery to escape his angry father's violence. At the age of 13, Richard Ramirez witnessed his cousin Miguel shooting his wife in the middle of an argument. At the age of 13, Richard Ramirez witnessed his cousin Miguel shooting his wife in the middle of an argument. Uh, this act left Ramirez sullen and depressed, according to his family members. Later, in 1973, Ramirez moved in with his sister Ruth. Ruth's husband was a notorious peeping Tom, because clearly this guy cannot have any positive male role models, who taught a young and impressionable Ramirez the fine art of watching people through their windows. It was while under the influence of Ruth's husband, Roberto, that Ramirez began experimenting with Satanism and the use of LSD. So basically, this boy, this young boy, was given all of the tools to, you know, create a serial killer. He had a problem with drugs at from an early age. He had violent and creepy male role models. His father was an angry man who would beat him. And he also now had Satanism to hang out with. Not all Satanists are bad. Let me just preface that. But for a young kid going through all of this, he can be exposed to the bad stuff like that. Not that I, I'm okay. I'm gonna shut up now. I condone all religions. I don't care. <laughs> Uh, Richard Ramirez committed his first murder in the Tenderloin district of San Francisco. A nine-year-old Mealing was discovered in the basement of the hotel Ramirez was living in during 1984. She had been sexually assaulted, beaten, and stabbed. Her body was found hanging from a pipe in the basement area of the hotel. While this is Richard Ramirez's first climb, crime, climb? This is his first time climbing Mount Everest. It's really crazy. While this is Richard Ramirez's first crime, he did not receive any credit for his first kill until 2009 when DNA from the crime scene was matched to Ramirez. The crimes Richard Ramirez committed during what is now known as the era of the Night Stalker began June 28, 1984, when Jenny Vincro, a 79-year-old resident at Glassell Park, was found brutally stabbed to death. It's believed that this attack happened in her sleep, and her neck was cut so deep she was almost decapitated. Ramirez was linked to the crime thanks to fingerprints found in the window screen he cut to gain access to Jeannie Vincro's apartment. 
The next Night Stalker crime occurred on March 17, 1985. Rich Ramirez shot 22-year-old Maria Hernandez in the face as she pulled into the garage of her Rosemead home. She did actually survive the shooting because whenever she was trying to defend herself from the attack, she lifted up her hand that had her car keys on it, and the bullet actually ricocheted off of them, which I think is crazy. Like, obviously she was still hurt, but like, it wasn't fatal, and that's just fucking nuts to me. Like, that's like a one in a million chance. After that happened to me, I would go buy a lottery ticket. Like, oh my god. However, the roommate, Dale Okazaki, I'm probably saying that wrong. I'm very, very sorry. I'm trying. Uh, hid behind the kitchen counter when she heard the gunshot that wounded Marina Hernandez. That was a weird way. I don't know why I had that weird pause. Again, it's weird for me to, like, breathe right now. <laughs> you know what? I'm just making excuses. Anyway, uh, so this is a terrible segue. Uh, Ramirez shot her in the face as she peeked out from her hiding place and she did not survive the attack. Something about the attack on Hernandez and the murder of Kozaki and the murder of Okaz. Oh my god, I suck so much. Why can't I pronounce names? Oh, I'm the worst. Something about the attack on Hernandez and the murder of Okaziki set Ramirez off. He attacked another woman within hours of the Rosemead attacks. See Elaine Ver- Veronica quotes, which is what she went as, you was forcibly removed from her vehicle at the hands of a crazed Ramirez. She was shot twice with a 22 caliber she was shot twice with a 22 caliber handgun, and although she was rushed to the hospital, she did not survive the attack. Three attacks that led to the two murders in one day gained Richard Ramirez media attention. At this point, he was known for rotting teeth and bulging eyes. He, which was, he, he was, he looks disgusting. He looks like a disgusting, disgusting man. He looks like a mixture of Skeletor and, I don't know, Frankenstein. Like, gross. And this is also whenever he gained his first nicknames from the press, which is the Valley Killer and the Walk-In Killer. But those, are, of course, aren't what we all know him for. Uh, Within days, Richard Ramirez's insatiable appetite for violence drove him to commit more murders. On March 27th, Ramirez broke into the home of Vincent Zazara. It was in the Zazara home where Ramirez perfected his killing style. The 64-year-old husband was murdered first, killed by a gunshot wound, and his wife, Maxine, was then brutally assaulted and stabbed to death. Ramirez then gouged out her eyes and placed them in a jewelry box he found while robbing the couple's home. The autopsy of Maxine revealed many of her stab wounds occurred after she had died. Um, it's believed that she tried to fight back, but the gun that they had underneath the bed that she tried to shoot him with was empty, therefore provoking him to go the extra mile after killing her. Uh, the killing of the husband and then assaulting the wife before brutally murdering her became Ramirez's standard killing pattern. The attack also left the first real clue to assist police at the beginning of the hunt. In the flower bed outside the Zazara home, a shoe print from a pair of Aviva, Avia, the fuck is that? A shoe print from the pair of Avia shoes was found, photographed, and a cast was taken of the print. Thus, of course, this is not much evidence, but sometimes you're just grappling at straws whenever you're a police officer. Sometimes that's bad, but I'm not going to get into that. I'm in a true crime podcast. I'm not going to critique police on it. So, we know right now, this dude had a really shitty life, looks like a disgusting zombie. He's dead, so I'm going to install him on one. He can't kill me. The fuck you going to do? Murder me? Uh, 
and he just sucks and okay yeah that's it i have a little thing here that's like fun little break just so i can separate it up a little bit but i don't know what to talk about my fun little break like last episode i was able to kind of like explain a theory i had but yeah this dude just sucks like he's just a bad person and nobody can nobody can disagree with me okay i'm gonna take a deep breath (sighs) after the killings up after killing the Zazara couple, Ramirez was at it again, this time in Monterey. Monterey. <laughs> it's a park. I don't care how I fucking say it. It's Monterey Park. If I'm saying it wrong, oops. On May 14th, 1985, Ramirez entered the Doy home. Bill Doy and his disabled wife were tortured and assaulted by Ramirez. Bill Doy died of his injuries while in the hospital. Uh, Lillian was bound while Ramirez ransacked their home, and then she was assaulted and sexually assaulted by Ramirez, eventually. Ugh, I hate this job. Okay. <laughs> A short 15 days later, Ramirez continued his reign of terror. In Montrevoe, Mon- Monrovoe, in Monrovoa, why, why do people name things, so, like, why do people name things? Can't we just all go by numbers? How about everything's a number or a color? Or maybe I should just, I don't know, be smarter. <sighs> Whatever. Uh, Ramirez entered the home of sisters, 83-year-old Mabel Ma Bell and 81-year-old Florence Nettie Long. Whenever I do like the Nettie or the Ma, that's because it's like their nickname, their quote-unquote. Whatever. Ramirez <laughs> Ramirez attacked both women with a hammer he found in the home, and he then used an electrical cord to shock and torture Belle. He bound and sexually assaulted Nettie Long, and then used Belle's lipstick to draw a pentagram on her leg and the walls of her bathroom. Both women were comatose at the time they were finally discovered. Mabel died of the result of the attack the night stalkers... Ramirez's next victim was 42-year-old Carol King of Burbank. Carol's 11-year-old son was home at the time of the break-in and assault. Both mother and son were handcuffed while Ramirez searched the house for valuables. After his, sh- after his search proved fruitless, he released Carol King. After after his search was proved fruitless, he released Carol Kyle, which was the son. Wait, no, no, that was a lady. After his search proved fruitless, he released Carol Kyle and forced her to show him where the valuables were hidden. He then repeatedly sexually assaulted Carol, telling her not to look at him or he will cut her eyes out. Both mother and son. Ass- both mother and son luckily survived the attack, and Ramirez fled the home after binding them together. So it's weird that this was the first time that he went into ransack and sexually assault, but he actually did not kill anyone, which may, I believe, shows that there could have been previous sexual assault before the Night Stalker, quote-unquote, came a thing. But because, you know, DNA evidence wasn't really real back then in the sexual assault case, so typically they go overlooked that I don't, I, I don't know I just think it's sketchy either he was getting sloppy or he committed different crimes and the only reason that he was found out about this one was because he's now the night stalker and his you know his image was even though like they didn't have a clear picture of the guy but if you say gross teeth and like bulging eyes like clearly you know if you ever saw him in the street you'd be like that guy looks suspicious so I don't really like you know whatever anyways uh so basically he killed in he'd been killed in arcadia uh 
Did y'all hear that? Buttheads, what are y'all doing? They're right outside my door. Oh my god, that scared me. <laughs> In Serena Madre, Ramirez entered the home of 16-year-old Whitney Bennett. After beating the girl with a tire iron, he searched in vain for a knife. While the search proved fruitless, he strangled the girl with a telephone cord. The telephone cord started to emit sparks while Whitney Bennett began breathing. Uh, this scared the Satanist so much as he thought it was a sign from God, and he fled the home. Bennett was lucky enough to survive the attack, although she required more than 400 stitches to close her wounds, which is worth it. Not long after the Sierra Madre attack, Ramirez broke into the home of 61-year-old Joyce Lucille Nelson. He beat her to death with his fists and then kicked her in the head, leaving behind another Avia sneaker print on the poor woman's face. Evidently, Ramirez didn't spend a lot of time thinking about evidence, and it was seen—it was very scattered killings. They did have kind of like a formula to them, like a killer's formula, but he wasn't like, you know, smart about it, probably because he was dumb as a sack of bricks. Did I mention that earlier? No, yeah. I mean, it's it's evident. Whatever. <laughs> uh, at the beginning of August 1986, Ramirez committed two more attacks in rapid succession. Again, he's being rushed. In Northridge, he entered the home of Chris and Virginia Peterson. He shot Virginia, and Chris ended up being shot multiple times as he fought off Ramirez. Both Petersons were luckily enough to survive the attack, and two mere days later, Ramirez broke into the Albaweth home in Diamond Bar, California. He almost immediately shot the husband to death in his sleep. He brutally attacked uh, Sakina Albaweth, sexually assaulting her and demanding she swear on Satan that she would not scream. The couple's three-year-old child woke up during the attack. Uh, Ramirez tied the boy up and continued to sexually assault his mother. After Ramirez finished his brutal attack and fled the home, Sakina untied her son and sent him to the neighbor's house for help. Both mother and son did survive the attack. The Night Soccer's reign of terror continued throughout the Los Angeles area. By the middle of August 1985... <gasps> By the middle of August 1985, Ramirez had seen news coverage of his crimes and knew he was being hunted. In a poor attempt to invade the investigation, Ramirez left the Los Angeles area and fled to San Francisco. At the home of Barbara and Peter Pan, that's right, Ramirez continued exacting horror on his unsuspecting victims. As per his usual style, he shot Peter in the head before attacking, sexually assaulting, and murdering Barbara. Before leaving the pan home, Richard Ramirez used Barbara's lipstick to scrawl a pentagram on the wall as well as the phrase, Jack the Knife. After watching a press conference detailing the evidence, Ramirez dropped his Avia sneakers over the side of the Golden Gate Bridge, destroying an important piece of evidence. Detectives were furious about the press conference and the discussion of the evidence for this very reason. Richard Ramirez began to take bigger risks, which left behind more evidence because he was stupid. On August 24th, 1985, Ramirez attempted to enter the Romero home in Mission Viejo. I'm so sorry. The Romero family had just returned from vacation. The family's 13-year-old son happened to be awake when Ramirez began attempting to gain entry to the house. He was able to scare the, the brave Night Stalker off while gathering valuable evidence. Thanks to the young Romero's quick thinking, police had the color, model, and make of the vehicle Ramirez was driving, as well as the partial license plate number. The boy was under the impression he had chased away a regular, not at all sadistic thief. In reality, his actions saved him and his family's lives. At the home of Bill Cams and Inez Erickson, Richard Ramirez once again followed his usual routine of shooting the male residents first and attacking the female residents. Ramirez announced to Inez that he was the Night Stalker, 
further terrifying the poor woman. He made her swear on Satan before beating her and sexually assaulting her. He stole he stole what valuables he could find, told Inez to tell them that the Night Stalker was here, and fled the home. Inez was able to get free and to find help for Bill Cams. Both victims survived their encounter with the Night Stalker. By allowing both victims to survive, Ramirez unknowingly aided in the investigation surrounding him. Inez was able to describe her assailant, helping detectives to form a better picture of the identity of the Night Stalker. Along with the description of Ramirez provided by Inez Eriks, a single fingerprint was found on the vehicle stolen by Ramirez in Wilshire Center. The fingerprint was enough to give police a rap sheet for 25-year-old drug-addicted drifter known as Richard Ramirez. Detectives held a press conference where a mugshot of Ramirez was released to the public. Detectives made it clear that they were on to Ramirez by saying during the press conference, we know who you are now, and soon everyone else will. There, is no, there will be no place you can hide. Time was running out for Ramirez, and he began to get sloppy, and the police now had a clear target. Detectives had, en detectives had enough insight to stake out a local bus station in the hopes of catching Richard Ramirez, aka the Night Stalker, who was attempting to flee the area. Ramirez had returned from a quick trip to see his brother in Texas, and realizing he had been spotted by police, the courageous Night Stalker hid behind an elderly Hispanic woman, declaring himself the Matador, or the killer in Spanish. He then fled, attempting to carjack two different people in the process. Eventually, a crowd of bystanders surrounded him, beat him, and then held him until police arrived to arrest him. I love it. I love it so much. That's just, that's so amazing. Just a bunch of dudes, like, held, oh my god. Can you imagine that shit? Like, you're just walking along one day, hanging out, and then suddenly, like, people are like, holy fuck, that's the Night Stalker. And then you all just start wailing on him. Oh, that'd be awesome. That'd be a great thing to be a part of. What a community building activity, honestly. This crowd, however, was the end to the Night Stalker's reign of terror. When jury selection began in July 22, 1988, Ramirez showed up to the court with a pentagram drawn on his hand and yelled, Hail Satan, into the crowded courtroom. Not long after, Ramirez had been reportedly planning to smuggle a gun into the courtroom with intentions of killing the prosecutor, as reported by the Los Angeles Times. In the most expensive trial in California history at the time, Richard Ramirez was convicted of 13 counts of murder, 5 counts of attempted murder, 14 counts of burglary, and 11 counts of sexual assault. He was sentenced to die in the gas chamber on November 7, 1989. In one of the more famous Richard Ramirez quotes, he stated on his way out of the courtroom after receiving his death sentence, Big deal. Death always went with the territory. See you in Disneyland! I don't get it. 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 This dude is so weird. Um, sadly, though, he never faced the death chamber as his sentence dictated. At the age of 53, after 23 years on death row, Ramirez passed away from the complications due to B-cell lymphoma. Um, then the writer of the article that I got a lot of, most of this information from um, included this little tidbit of information there that I just love so much. Uh, the quote is, even his organs hated his guts, which is very fitting. Also, a little bit of gross, uh, gross little, little tidbit of knowledge I know. Uh, he found love in prison? What the fuck? Uh, one woman named Doreen Loy began writing Ramirez as early as 1985, right after his arrest. She wrote him more than 75 letters. In 1988, the couple was engaged. They didn't get married until October 3rd, 1996. Loy had repeatedly stated she was going to commit suicide when Richard Ramirez was finally put to death in the serial killer type of Romeo and Juliet pact. 
the couple eventually separated and Loy never, you know, killed herself. So that's it. <laughs> yeah, that's Richard Ramirez. That's a fucking Night Stalker. How weird is that? Oh, this dude just sucks. People like that will be rotting in hell. Like, honestly, I don't care if you don't believe in hell or not, but, like, people like that just don't, don't deserve anything in their life. And honestly, like, sometimes it's like, are these people ever worth talking to? Like, of course, you have to look back on history in order to make sure you don't repeat it ever again. But still, like, am I a bad person because I talk about a guy like Richard Ramirez or, like, Gary Heidnick or, like, Pee Wee, you know? But I don't know. I don't know. Hey, that's just something to grow on. Oh, man. But yeah, he's a crazy story. I think it's really interesting. He suffered from two different, like, brain injuries, which is very common serial killers. And I, I, I don't know. I watched a very interesting, um, like, kind of like an episode documentary of Making a Murderer. And they talked about the type of brain you have to have to be a murderer. And it was it was kind of like that nature versus nurture where you could be born with, like, I think it's like a shrunken, like, Amdala, Amdala, Nimadula, Amagata, tells the brain so that it's gotta, that, that thing. I don't fucking know. But it's, um, a lot of serial killers have that, like, it's not big enough. Um, and because adding that to violent surroundings can make them more susceptible to being killers, which I found very, very interesting. Especially because I myself am a murderer. I'm not. I don't know why I felt the need to say that, but I did. It was just coming out too fast. I couldn't stop it. <sighs> okay, yeah, but that's the story. I don't have anything else to say about that. Um, I guess last thing, I guess last few things I need to do, they actually really scared me. Um, uh, again, I'm still looking for a graphic designer. If you know anyone, let me know. Send in this episode. Uh, talk to me about it. Send me a, send me a little cute little DM on Twitter. I'll, I'll respond. Okay. <laughs> My Twitter is up at nightcast. Make sure you follow me to get fun little updates about the about the fun episodes I do. <laughs> I really should get someone else to run my Twitter because I'm really bad at it, but I don't have any money. So, whatever. And I need to do my good thing because I forgot my good thing last week and that's super fucked up. I'm so sorry, y'all. Uh, my good thing this week is, of course, my new abode. I'm glad. I really like my room. My new room. Winchester. <laughs> my new room. And I also just, like, have a lot of hope for the next semester. And I just feel really good about it. And that's also one thing I'm happy about, that I feel so confident with the upcoming uh, upcoming life I'm about to be living. But, yeah, I'm just, I'm excited. This episode's been kind of long. There's a lot about Richard Ramirez, so I am going to go ahead and wrap it up really quickly. So, thank you for listening to my 19th episode. Yeah, thank you for listening to my 19th episode. Winchester. Thank you for listening to my 19th episode of Up at Night. It's been awesome getting to share this murderer with y'all. Next week, I'll be back with another creepy lore story. Um, but until then, I will see you the next time I can't sleep. Bye, guys. Bye, guys. Why do I sound like that?